Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you are blessed by today's sermon. Well, thank you so much for coming in tonight. Um, we are going to be looking at this passage in Mark, chapter 9, 2 through 13. Thank you, Mac, for singing. I also want to thank uh, our drummer, Brian and Robin, who came in and did a great job last minute jumping in and playing for us this week. So if you want to give them a round of applause, appreciate you. Uh, so this is such an awesome passage. Um, I'm going to give you a little background. So at this point in the gospel, if you've been reading through Mark this month, have we, as, or last couple months as we, have we, as we have been going through it, um, you'll see that this is about halfway through the gospel. So at this point... Uh, Jesus has made a lot of enemies, and he's made a lot of disciples. At this point, Jesus knows that it's time to go to Jerusalem. You'll notice at the end of Mark chapter 9, it actually says that he sets his face as like flint going towards Jerusalem. He knows he's going to die. He knows he's going to be crucified. He knows that he's going to rise again three days later, and he's ready to go do it. And so this is, this is really the, the breaking point. And this is why we actually read this. Uh, passage at this point in the liturgical season is because this sets up the entire um, uh, Lenten season because he's about ready to go towards his passion, death, and resurrection. And so another cool thing is August 6th is actually the feast of the Transfiguration. So you'll notice August 6th will have the reading then for the Transfiguration itself. So it's actually read a couple times in the liturgical season. And so tonight we'll look specifically at this account And I'll go verse by verse through it, and we'll see what's going on with this passage. So let me turn there in my Bible. All right. So the first couple of verses says, And after six days Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. So just stopping there. At this point, Peter, James, and John are going with Jesus up onto this mountain. What does this remind you of? Moses, right? Moses goes up onto a mountain, and how does he come down? His face is glowing. His face is glowing. He actually has to wear a veil over his face. And this term veil is going to come up later. But Moses actually wears a veil over his face because of his glowing face. It's, it's too hard for people to even be around because of how... Um, bright and, I guess, uh, scary it is to have a glowing person around. I've never been around a person with a glowing face before, but I'm assuming it's pretty terrifying. So um, Jesus, though, in this account we'll see is actually glowing with the light of God. So um, let me continue on. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And so I'm going to look at this uh, icon right here. I actually have this hanging in my office um, I bought it when I was down in an Orthodox monastery, uh, and it's super, super cool. So you have Jesus there. As you can see, he has this light shining off of him, and it's almost like a bluish white. It's so brilliant that I don't know if you guys have ever seen like a torch. It's not yellow. It's not red. It's literally blue hot. That's the kind of light that's shining out from Jesus. It's this bluish white light. And on his left, you see Moses, and on his right, you see Elijah. Sometimes Moses is depicted holding the Ten Commandments, and Elijah is uh, depicted holding the scriptures. So Moses uh, represents the law, and Elijah represents the prophets. And then you have uh, Peter. You'll always notice in iconography he has a gray beard, 
And then you have James and John. I'm not sure which one's which. I'd have to look a little closer. James usually had, or John usually has kind of a baby face. He's kind of a pretty boy. And then uh, you have uh, James as well. So they're getting down scared, right? So titles and inscriptions, most icons will have some Greek there. So if you know Greek letters, you can sometimes figure out what it's saying. Uh, this one doesn't, uh, not that I can see at least. A lighting, you'll notice the lighting in the picture. There's actually bluish white light coming out from the clothing on Moses and Elijah. Uh, you'll see it on the apostles a little bit. They're getting lit up from the glory of the Lord. So this Shekinah glory, this bright light shining off of Jesus is actually so holy that the surrounding landscape is illuminated by Jesus. Uh, you see the colors. We talked about the bright bluish light that I was talking about. Um, you'll also notice uh, reds are sometimes depicted for martyrdom. Um, and so you have red sometimes in the picture. You see, notice the postures. Moses is bowing. Elijah is bowing. And, <laughs> and the apostles are just laying on the ground, terrified. Um, positioning. Uh, you'll notice sometimes they'll have things in their hands. Uh, Jesus is depicted holding something because he has not been resurrected. Uh, after he's resurrected, um, he will not be holding something, usually. Sometimes he is. It just depends on the iconographer. But that's showing that he has uh, the scrolls of the Old Testament. Um, in the, when he's resurrected, sometimes he'll be carrying the gospel with him. And then items worn, uh, you'll notice uh, they're all wearing similar attire in this picture. Um, but obviously Jesus is all lit up with his glorious white robes. So go to the next slide. So the transfiguration of Jesus points forward to the transformation of all things. The transfiguration of Jesus points forward to the transformation of all things. So that's your first blank there is transformation. One of the ways uh, Jesus is referred to by the Apostle Paul is first fruits. So Jesus is actually called the first fruit of the resurrection. So if you go back into the Old Testament, you'll notice that in the book of Numbers and, and you'll see um, in Leviticus, there's this idea that when you grow something or when you have a, a field, right? Uh, you don't really have a lot of agriculture in Midland, but you have some agriculture, right? Um, when you're growing something, you take the first fruits of that thing and give it to God. That was the Jewish tradition. And they'd actually have an entire festival devoted to first fruits. And so one of the things that they did is they would bring it to the temple. The, the, the priests would bake it into bread and they would make it into an offering with uh, incense and frankincense. They mixed it into it and they'd offer it up as an offering to God. So Jesus uh, talks about himself as what? The bread of life, right? He says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, you know, it cannot produce so it has to fall to the ground and go into the earth and become uh, what it's meant to be. And so Jesus is like this, um, this first fruit. And so he is uh, going to transform all things. And he is transfigured first and transformed first in, in his glorification after his resurrection. You'll notice he's passing through walls, right? I mean, nothing can keep him out of a room, which is kind of terrifying, right? Jesus can go anywhere. Um, Jesus is eating food. But obviously he has a physical body enough to eat food, so he's eating with his disciples. So this glorified body can eat. This glorified body can pass through walls. It's, 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 it's otherworldly, but it's also um, kind of like the body we have. So he, we, when we look at Jesus, we get a, a glimpse at what the transformed new creation will look like. All creation will experience a transformation. We see that in Revelation 21.5. 
all of creation will be transformed. The heavens and the earth will be made new in the new creation. Let me get into the next few verses, verses 4 through 5. And there appeared to, uh, to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, uh, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And so Jesus was accused by the Jewish leaders of breaking the law and not being the, the one that the prophets were pointing to. He wasn't the prophesied Messiah that they were looking for. But here we see Moses, who literally wrote the law, and Elijah, who uh, typifies, he is literally like the perfect representative for all of the prophets, right? These two people are sitting there, well, not sitting, standing, literally like kind of bowing to him as, as the Lord, and they're talking with one another. And so this shows the disciples, he fulfills the law and the prophets. He's not blaspheming. He is literally the Lord that they were waiting for. So this appearance also shows us who Jesus was speaking to and that the saints were surrounding Jesus and the apostles, even though they were unaware of it. One of the things I love about this depiction is these guys are glimpsing into heaven. A lot of times we think about this as Jesus was transformed and he was transfigured. Yes, but more importantly, what he was was always what he was. Jesus doesn't change here so much as the eyes of the disciples are opened up. Remember how I was mentioning the veil earlier? The veil is lifted from their eyes so they, actually, they can see things rightly. They can see things the way they actually are. So these saints that are with Jesus now have always been with Jesus. Uh, the glorified, shining body that's transfigured, right, of Jesus, that's what he actually looks like. They're getting a glimpse into heaven. They're getting a glimpse into the holy things that we someday will all get to see into. The apostles have this opportunity as the inner circle of Jesus, Peter, James, and John, are really his inner circle of disciples. He has his 12, right? But he has these three that he really pours into. And these three guys get a chance to witness this amazing thing. If, let's look at uh, chapter 9, verse 1. It says, And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. I love that. Sometimes people look at, they'll read this verse, but they don't keep reading. <laughs> they'll read this verse, and they're like, oh, okay, so that means second coming. No, I think what Jesus is, is talking about right here is these guys, some of these guys, these three people in particular, are going to see my kingdom. They're going to get a glimpse at who I really am before they die. And just right after he says that, they get to see the transfiguration. And Jesus is likely speaking with Moses and Elijah about his plan to soon go to Jerusalem. And so he's sitting there, standing with them, talking to them about this uh, plan that he has to go to Jerusalem. He's saying, okay, guys, I know you've been waiting for this. For, you know, since you were on earth as a human being, you know, before you died and before you were um, in the paradise, Abraham's side, where they are right now, right, waiting for the second coming. Um, you were waiting for this, and now you're going to see it. You're going to see me go to Jerusalem and usher in the new kingdom through my life, my death, and my resurrection. So I'll read the next few verses. For he did not know what to say, this is Peter, 
For they were terrified, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with, it, with them, but Jesus only. This is such a cool thing as uh, sometimes in the New King James Version, uh, it'll actually say the tabernacles. So Peter's saying, let me build you some tabernacles. Let me build you the things that were in the Old Testament. Because I'm seeing this glory, I'm seeing this cloud overshadowing you. That's Old Testament stuff. Like, this is biblical stuff. These Jewish guys, they're excited. This is, these are the things that they read about in the Old Testament. And they get to see it firsthand. And so now they're seeing this glory overshadowing. And he's like, let me build a tabernacle. Because that's what you had in the Old Testament. Let me, let me get ready for this new kingdom that's coming. And, and you have to think, too, these guys, they were looking for a Messiah who was going to drive out the Roman Empire, who had come in and conquered them, and who was now oppressing them and controlling them. They wanted the Davidic throne restored. They wanted to have this um, Israel powerful kingdom like they had in the Old Testament, right? And so Peter, James, and John are like, I'm going to build these tabernacles. I'm going to set up headquarters like HQ here so we can start getting ready to drive out the Roman Empire and start the new kingdom now. And what does God say? What does God the Father say to that? He says, let me find it. Verse 7, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And I think in our own lives, it's so easy for us to get distracted by the world, right? And we want to set up the kingdom now. We want to set up the kingdom here. And we want Jesus to do what we want Jesus to do. And Jesus has another plan. And we don't always know what his plan is. Sometimes he'll reveal his plan a little bit to us. A lot of times, a little bit each day. Because if he revealed the whole plan to us, we'd probably get pretty scared and overwhelmed. (laughs) At least I would. I like a little bit each day. Like, God, just give me enough for the next week. God, just help me along. And that's what God does for us. Peter is thinking, of course, like, of course the Messiah is going to come and conquer Rome, drive them out. But really, what he's doing here is God is saying, just listen to my son. And suddenly they looked around, and there was no longer anyone but Jesus. Jesus is standing there just as he was before, before Uh, Moses, before Elijah, before the glory of the Lord was overshadowing them, before all of this happened, Jesus is standing there just as before. Let me read verses 9 through 10. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning, what does this rising from the dead uh, mean? And they asked, uh, asked him, Why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, actually, let me stop there. Uh, After Christ dies uh, and is raised, the disciples will be reminded of who he truly is. One of the purposes of this transfiguration is so they get a glimpse at what's coming. They get a little preview of the kingdom to come. When Jesus comes back, he's going to be on the clouds in power, right? Um, They're going to... They're going to see him for who he truly is when he returns. They're getting a little glimpse of that now. One of the things, too, is he's getting ready to go to Jerusalem and die. When he dies and when he's raised from the dead, they're going to remember all of these things. And they can share them with all the other disciples and be confident in the identity that he has. So the transfiguration will uh, serve later 
as a reminder of Christ's true identity. So that's the next point, point four. Point five is this. John the baptizer fulfills the ministry of Elijah and the prophecy of Malachi. John the baptizer fulfills the ministry of Elijah and the prophecy of Malachi. So that's verses uh, 11 through 13. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things, and and how it is written of the Son of Man, that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as as it was written of him. So John came in the spirit of Elijah. John came in the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. And so they didn't see Elijah the person, right? Except in this transfiguration they do. So he does come in a sense, right? But Elijah has already come in the person of John the baptizer. Some, I like to say John the baptizer because I don't like giving people the wrong impression that he, he was a Baptist. and It's just not fair. I mean, come on. <laughs> Anglicans can... No, anyways. Um, so John the baptizer... He, uh, he came in the spirit of Elijah to fulfill the role of Elijah, to usher in the kingdom for Jesus so that he would make way for Jesus, that he would make the path straight, that he would turn the father's uh, hearts to their children, the children's hearts to their fathers, right? There's all this wonderful prophecy. John the Baptist, he did that for them. Through baptizing, through being the last Old Testament prophet, the greatest Old Testament prophet, Jesus calls him. And then he's literally killed, he's decapitated, and his head is served on a platter. So John the Baptist, he brings in this wonderful uh, ministry. He is this wonderful prophet, and he dies in service to his Lord. So bottom line, the transfiguration gives us a glimpse into the coming kingdom and the transformation of all things. So this sermon was a bit of a whiplash from last uh, this past morning because, uh, and honestly, like this evening I was thinking too, we have ashes here. If anyone missed this morning and still wanted to do ash uh, imposition, we could do that for them tonight. But this morning we celebrated the deaths, right? We celebrated the fact that all, we will someday die, but we can know that we will be raised to eternal life. You are but, at, uh, but you are but dust, and to dust you shall return. And so, but the wonderful thing is, God's going to take all of this dust and make it new. He's going to transfigure it, transform it, and make it into His new creation. And so, a little bit of a liturgical whiplash from uh, ashes in position this morning and Ash Wednesday stuff happening. But I think it's important that we remember the transfiguration and how the transfiguration and Ash Wednesday kind of fit together. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.